Chapter Five of *The Dragon of Wantley: His Tale* by Owen Wister. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Five, in which the hero makes his first appearance and is at once locked up. With the respect that was due to holy men, Sir Godfrey removed his helmet and stood waiting in a decent attitude of attention to the hymn although he did not understand a single word of it. The long, deliberate Latin words rolled out very grand to his ear, and, to tell you the truth, it is just as well his scholarship was faulty, for this is the English of those same words. It is my intention to die in a tavern with wine in the neighborhood close by my thirsty mouth that angels in chorus may sing when they reach me, let Bacchus be merciful unto this wine-bibber. But so devoutly did the monks dwell upon the syllables, so earnestly were the arms of each one folded against his breast, that you would never have suspected any unclerical sentiments were being expressed. The proximity of so many petticoats and kirtles caused considerable restlessness to Hubert, but he felt the burning eye of the Grand Marshal fixed upon him, and sang away with all his might. Sir Godfrey began to grow impatient. "'Ahem!' he said, moving his foot slightly. This proceeding, however, was without result. The pious chant continued to resound, and the monks paid not the least attention to their visitors, but stood up together in a double line, vociferating Latin with as much zest as ever. "'Mortuay!' growled Sir Godfrey, shifting his other foot, and not so gingerly this second time. By chance the singing stopped upon the same instant, so that the baron's remark and the noise his foot had made sounded all over the room. This disconcerted him, for he felt his standing with the church to be weak, and he rolled his eyes from one side to the other, watching for any effect his disturbance might have made. But with the breeding of a true man of the world, the Grand Marshal merely observed, Benedicity, my son. Good morning, father, returned Sir Godfrey. And what would you with me? pursued the so-called father Anselm. Speak, my son. Well, the fact is, the baron began, marching forward, but he encountered the eye of the abbot, where shone a cold surprise at this over-familiar fashion of speech. So he checked himself and, in as restrained a voice as he could command, told his story. How his daughter had determined to meet the dragon, and so save Wantley. How nothing that a parent could say had influenced her intentions in the least, and now he placed the entire matter in the hands of the church. "'Which would have been more becoming if you had done it at the first, said Father Anselm reprovingly. Then he turned to Miss Elaine, who all this while had been looking out of the window with the utmost indifference. "'How is this, my daughter?' he said gravely in his deep voice. "'Oh, the dear blessed man!' whispered Mistletoe admiringly to herself. 
"It is as you hear, father," said Miss Elaine, keeping her eyes away. "And why do you think that such a peril upon your part would do away with this dragon?" "Says not the legend so?" she replied. "And what may the legend be, my daughter?" With some surprise that so well informed a person as Father Anselm should be ignorant of this prominent topic of the day, Sir Godfrey here broke in and narrated the legend to him with many vigorous comments. "'Ah, yes,' said the father, smiling gently when the story was done. "'I do now remember that some such child's tale was in the mouths of the common folk once, but methought the nonsense was dead long since.' "'The nonsense, father?' exclaimed Elaine. "'Of a surety, my child. Dost suppose that Holy Church were so unjust as to visit the sins of thy knightly relatives upon the head of any weak woman who is not in the order of creation designed for personal conflict with men, let alone dragons?' "'Bravo, dragon!' thought Hubert, as he listened to this wily talk of his chief. But the words, weak woman, had touched the pride of Miss Elaine. I know nothing of weak women, she said, very stately, but I do know that I am strong enough to meet this dragon, and, moreover, firmly intend to do so this very night. Peace, my daughter, said the monk, and listen to the voice of thy mother, the church, speaking through the humblest of her servants. This legend of thine holds not a single grain of truth. Tis a conceit of the common herd, set afoot by some ingenious fellow, who may have thought he was doing a great thing in devising such fantastic mixture. True it is that the monster is a visitation to punish the impiety of certain members of thy family. True it is that he will not depart till a member of that family perform a certain act, but it is to be a male descendant. Now Sir Godfrey's boy, Roland, was being instructed in knightly arts and conduct away from home. "'Who told you that?' inquired the baron, as the thought of his precious wine-cellar came into his head. "'On last Christmas Eve I had a vision.' replied Father Anselm. Thy grandfather, the brave youth who by journeying to the holy war averted this curse until thine own conduct caused it to descend upon us, appeared to me in shining armor. Anselm, he said, and raised his right arm, the dragon is a grievous burden on the people. I can see that from where I am. Now, Anselm, when the fitting hour shall come, and my great-grandson's years be mature enough to have made a man of him, let him go to the next holy war that is proclaimed, and on the very night of his departure the curse will be removed and our family forgiven. More than this, Anselm, if any male descendant from me, direct, shall at any time attend a crusade when it is declared, the country will be free forever." So saying, he dissolved out of my sight in a silver-gleaming mist. Here Father Anselm paused, and from under his hood watched with a trifle of anxiety the effect of his speech. 
There was a short silence, and then Sir Godfrey said, "Am I to understand this thing hangs on the event of another crusade?" The abbot bowed. "Meanwhile, till that event happen, the dragon can rage unchecked?" The abbot bowed again. "Will there be another crusade along pretty soon?" Sir Godfrey pursued. "These things lie not in human knowledge," replied Father Anselm. He little dreamed what news the morrow's sun would see. "Oh, my sheep!" groaned many a poor farmer. "Oh, my burgundy!" groaned Sir Godfrey. "In that case," exclaimed Elaine, her cheeks pink with excitement, "I shall try the virtue of the legend at any rate." most impious my daughter most impious will such conduct be in the sight of mother church said father anselm hear me all people shouted sir godfrey foreseeing that before the next crusade came every drop of wine in his cellar would be swallowed by the dragon hear me proclaim and solemnly promise legend true or legend false my daughter shall not face this risk. But if her heart go with it, her hand shall be given to that man who by night or light brings me this dragon, alive or dead. A useless promise, Sir Godfrey, said Father Anselm, shrugging his shoulders. We dare not discredit the word of thy respected grandsire. My respected grandsire be... What? said the abbot. B came a credit to his family, said the baron quite mildly, and I slight no word of his, but he did not contradict this legend in the vision, I think. No, he did not, papa, Miss Elaine put in. He only mentioned another way of getting rid of this horrible dragon. Now, papa, whatever you may say about, about my heart and hand, she continued firmly, I am going to meet the monster alone, myself, to-night. That you shall not, said Sir Godfrey. A hundred times no, said a new voice from the crowd. I will meet him myself. All turned and saw a knight pushing his way through the people. Who are you? inquired the baron. The stranger bowed haughtily and Elaine watched him remove his helmet and reveal underneath it the countenance of a young man who turned to her and—'Why, what's this, Elaine? Why does everything seem to swim and grow misty as his eye meets yours, and why does he look at you so, and deeply flush to the very rim of his curly hair, and as his glance grows steadier and more intent upon your eyes that keep stealing over at him, can you imagine why his hand trembles on the hilt of his sword? Don't you remember what the legend said? Who are you? the baron repeated impatiently. I am Geoffrey, son of Bertram of Poissetiers, answered the young man. And what, asked Father Anselm, with a certain irony in his voice, does Geoffrey, son of Bertram of Poissetiers, so far away from his papa in this inclement weather? 
The knight surveyed the monk for a moment, and then said, As thou art not my particular father confessor, stick to those matters which concern thee. This reply did not please any man present, for it seemed to savor of disrespect. But Elaine lost no chance of watching the youth, who now stood alone in the middle of the hall. Sir Francis detected this, and smiled with a sly smile. "'Will some person inquire of this polite young man,' he said, "'what he wishes with us?' "'Show me where this dragon of Wantley comes,' said Geoffrey, "'for I intend to slay him to-night.' "'Indeed, sir,' fluttered Elaine, stepping towards him a little, "'I hope—that is, uh, I beg you'll do no such dangerous thing as that for my sake.' "'For your sake?' Father Anselm broke in. "'For your sake? And why so?' What should Elaine, daughter of Sir Godfrey de Sison, care for the carcass of Geoffrey, son of Bertram of Poissetier? But Elaine, finding nothing to answer, turned rosy pink instead. "'That rules you out!' exclaimed the father in triumph. "'Your legend demands a maid who never has cared for any man.' "'Pooh!' said Geoffrey. "'Leave it to me.' "'Seize him!' shouted Sir Godfrey in a rage. "'He had ruled out my daughter.' Consistency had never been one of the baron's strong points. "'Seize him!' said Father Anselm. "'He outrages Mother Church.' The vassals closed up behind young Geoffrey, who was pinioned in a second. He struggled with them till the veins stood out in his forehead in blue knots, but, after all, one young man of twenty is not much among a band of stout yeomen, and they all fell in a heap on the floor, pulling and tugging at Geoffrey, who had blacked several eyes, and done in a general way as much damage as he possibly could under the circumstances. But Elaine noticed one singular occurrence. Not a monk had moved to seize the young man, except one, who rushed forward and was stopped, as though struck to stone, by Father Anselm saying to him in a terrible undertone, "'Hubert!' Simply that word spoken quickly. But not before this Hubert had brushed against her, so that she was aware that there was something very hard and metallic underneath his grey gown. She betrayed no sign of knowledge or surprise on her face, however, but affected to be absorbed wholly in the fortunes of young Geoffrey, whom she saw collared and summarily put into a cage-like prison whose front was thick iron bars and whose depth was in the vast outer wall of the monastery, with a little window at the rear covered with snow. The spring-lock of the gate shut upon him. "'And now,' said Father Anselm, as the monastery bell sounded once more, "'if our guests will follow us, the midday meal awaits us below. We will deal with this hothead later,' he added, pointing to the prisoner. So they slowly went out, leaving Geoffrey alone with his thoughts. End of chapter 5